This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. In studio for the brightest conversation in Hamilton Radio with one of our favorite guests, a legend in the world of broadcasting. Her name is Sue Prestage. She has worked for just about everybody. She Sounds has been like in. I can't hold a job. No, 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 no. It sounds like everybody <laughs> has wanted to hire you. Oh, that's so sweet. Uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Most recently, Sue was the head of journalism and broadcasting at Mohawk until she decided to spend some time on herself, which is a good thing. And yes, and do uh, some volunteer work. Excellent. And start taking some courses. Yeah, it's been Excellent. busy. Courses in what? Drawing. Drawing. Yeah. Wow, I can't wait to see some of those. I know. I'm going to sell them. <laughs> yeah. You know who else apparently in the world of sports, because you are someone who's your background in sports, I did not realize, remember Brian McFarland from Hockey Night in Canada? Yes. He apparently is an exceedingly accomplished painter. Absolutely. And I didn't know that. I found that out recently, and I'm not even aspiring to get to his... <laughs> level of artistic merit. I'm just, it's something I've always enjoyed, but I've never had instruction in it. So there you go. So you will be the Bob Ross of Hamilton. (laughs) Yes, indeed. No mistakes, just happy accidents. That's right. Uh, Hey, speaking of sports, since you do have a long background in the world of sports, did you happen to see either the game last night or the highlights of the fight that left Joe Thornton with a huge plumage of his beard lying on the ice? I know. And I mean... What does that say? It says you don't grow a beard. Uh, the you know? last time I saw that much hair lying on the ice, seriously, it was big, back probably at about 1970, and it was a goalie pad that had exploded, and the horse hair had come out. Oh. But look. not a human, because if you saw the clip, I mean, Joe Thornton had a huge chunk of his beard torn out. Yeah, and you know what? This goes back to uh, watching a CFL as well. With the dreads yep. coming out the back of the helmet, I'm going, you're just setting yourself up to and be, that's legal. you know. That's legal. I know. They considered that, that this was something they talked about a few years ago because a lot of guys were now wearing the dreads. And in the NFL, in the CFL, can't know, I don't know what else, that is considered part of your uniform. And because, the, I mean, if a guy's running down the field and you just reach to grab onto whatever and you happen to get hair, how do you know... That would get the player's attention pretty darn quick, you know, as opposed to a jersey pole. Which player? The one with the The hair or the one one with with a handful of hair? Well, it could go both ways. You never know. Uh, That would be an awkward feeling, though, if you grabbed a guy sprinting down the field and suddenly you had a dreadlock in your hand. Mm -hmm. Like a horse hair, like a horse tail, just, you know, all of a sudden just holding this thing. The shots from every (laughs) camera in the stadium. I can see it now. But I I, I can't remember ever seeing someone... And, and I mean, it looked to me, it didn't, it didn't look like Nazem Kadri had done it on purpose. They were, he was grabbing at his sweater and got beard and then Joe Thornton fell down and out came this giant chunk of, of fur. But if you're, <laughs> if you're going to, if you're going to grow a beard that long and you're a professional athlete, stuff can you happen. suffer the consequences. I just, I, I, I was amazed when I realized today that, you know, in so many of the sports that it is. It's legal. It's part of the, as you say, if you want to grow that hair, that beard, that whatever else, that is, That's go fine, ahead. but suffer the consequences. That's all I'm saying. The only I sport. must have heard. Well, the only sport that I could find where they put limits on it is in MMA, in UFC or whatever. And the reason for that, as I understand it, was not that they didn't want people pulling on the beard or the hair. I guess the idea is if you get cut, that it's more difficult to sew you up, so we have to or stop the bleeding, so we don't want it so thick and so plumagey. 
It's not well, really that, a word. It does but. make sense, doesn't it? But you think other professional sports would look at that and say, do we want our number one guy out of the lineup because we're, we're on the bench sewing him up? And we can't see where the hole is. We because can't see where the hole is. <laughs> and he's not getting back into that game. Yeah, it would be like trying to do, I don't know, do work on your bushes out front of your house, but something inside them. With, I mean, it, the whole thing just, it was such a ridiculous thing. But since everybody now apparently has these giant beards, I'm frankly surprised this has never happened before. I do really you, am. Do you know what? It's so funny because, you know, even I, a couple of our daughters played rep soccer, but you could not wear earrings. Didn't you know? And those girls could not have the big beards. Yeah, you couldn't <laughs> have the big beards. No, but I mean, something as simple as Hoop study earrings, earrings. Of course. They were saying, nope, you can't do that. But they'll allow this guy in the NHL to grow a beard that He's going to suffer somehow. You know, Sue, it's interesting because you're right. It's not just, I can understand if you had girls sports and you said no hoop earrings because it's easy to get a finger. But yeah, kids can't, boys, even boys, if you are wearing a stud earring, you have to put a Band-Aid or a piece of tape over it or something. Correct. And I can't imagine how that could ever get tangled up in whatever. I mean, I suppose anything is possible. When I was a kid, it was before you had the tuck blades. It was the old tube skates. Yes. And at the back of the tube skate, you had the white cap That's correct. to plug the, the bl- hole. Yeah, exactly. And when I was playing hockey as a kid, one of the guys on our team, there was a pile up in the corner and somehow his front tooth ended up stuck in oh, the oh. tube of one of the other guy's skates. And when oh. the guy pulled his skate away, out came the tooth right from the root. So oh, that, I guess oh. it was horrible. I was, I, that day I was the backup goalie on the bench and I got to watch the coach and two dads try and put it back in. Oh, it was a beautiful, oh, beautiful that is thing. So painful. I can, I can, I can remember that so viscerally because it was such a horrible thing. But the point is, I suppose anything can happen. That sure. is my point. Anything can happen in sports, but still, I just, I never thought I would see a rat's nest on the ice of human beard hair <laughs> from a fight. But it'll make year, you know, next year it will make the year enders. It, it will, and it'll make a lot of other guys, I think, wonder: <laughs> Should I be keeping this beard <laughs> exactly. or trim it a little bit? You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML. Uh, I think for a lot of people today, what has been a point of great discussion is this, um, well, it's a cat fight of sorts, I suppose, for lack of a better term, with the Tim Horton's children and and, and Ron Joyce children and Kathleen Wynne and Tim Horton's Enterprises. Everyone's now into this fight about the children again of Tim Horton and Ron Joyce, who were business partners who started Tim Hortons. The children ended up getting married. They have a few or a couple Tim Hortons franchises. And when the minimum wage went up, they said, well, we have to make some cuts in order to make a living and did so, took away paid time off, breaks and things like that. And a few of the benefits people have to now pay for some of their benefits. Kathleen Wynne said this was bullying. Now Tim Horton says, yeah, you shouldn't do that but doesn't say what they're going to do to help the franchise. What do you make of this whole thing? Um, When I first heard about it, and I think I still maintain the same attitude, um, I thought, really? That is so small. It's not like, I get it, a franchisee owner ends up paying money to the corporation. You know, I would think the lineups that I've seen at Tim Hortons anyway, a lot of them are doing pretty darn well. Agreed. Okay. But to have, and most of these are the part-timers, right? These are the students. These are the ones who, if things aren't, you know, going, uh, if they're not enough business, sometimes they get sent home. They're making 
so little to begin with. And then they're asked to sign off on a document that says they will not be paid for breaks. They will have to pay a better portion of their um, benefits. benefits. They will have to buy their own uniform. And the people, I think the ironic thing about this whole thing is the two individuals, as you mentioned, who started this whole thing. I mean, Tim Horton's daughter and Ron Joyce's son, who are a married couple, who are at their Florida home right now, so unavailable for comment. Um, It couldn't have been worse from a communications point of view. I mean, they had to be expecting this to see the outrage it would happen, especially when they started this whole trend. I mean, good for the company to stand up and say this does not meet our, you know, our standards. But as you say, they haven't said what they're going to do. See, there's a bunch, a bunch of different elements to this. Let's let's go at it backwards because Tim Hortons now, the company, has said, yeah, you shouldn't be doing this. We're not going to stand for this. This isn't what we're about. But Tim Hortons, the company, has not announced that they are doing anything to help their franchisees. And as you point out, when you go and buy a coffee from Tim Hortons, part of that money goes to the franchisee who are independent, and part of it goes to head office who you have bought your franchise from and bought all your materials and everything from. And as I understand it, talking to a bunch of people, Tim Hortons franchisees don't make millions. The company may be worth billions of dollars, as Ron Joyce made, but the but the franchisees are not all enormously wealthy. Many of them will own a number of them. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, if Tim Hortons had, if the company had wanted to come forward and said, you know what? Yes, this is, this is not what we're going to do. And I'll tell you how we're going to help our franchisees. We're going to cut costs to them by X amount so they can look after this. But right now it seems to me, Sue, that all of the added burden of the extra money, the jump to $14 in minimum wage, all of it is falling on the franchisees rather than on the corporation. Well, I mean, that's, you could say the same thing about a number of other companies that have franchisee owners. Of course. I'd like to see the numbers on how many franchise owners at Tim Hortons are not making a pretty good income from it, especially some of the ones that started out at the beginning, et cetera, et cetera. It seems to me that once you had a Tim Hortons franchise, you probably, and as things got better, you bought another one. That to go in now and try to buy a franchise would be horrifically expensive, I would think. But why didn't, if they were so upset about this money, this extra money that they would have to pay their employees, why didn't they go to the corporation and say, this is what we're going to do. This is not going to look good on Tim Hortons, but this is what we're going to do. No, maybe they did. We don't know. Because the only word... Uh, as far as I know, today was the first time that we saw the mother corp, so to speak, mm-hmm. get involved in all of this. But uh, seriously, I mean, you know, the things that they were pointing at is things that, the, the, you know, and it's for the most part, it's young people who don't seem to be getting a break anywhere except getting money in the minimum wage. And I don't, I think they deserve it. They deserve that extra income. If Tim Hortons, the corporation, had responded by saying, you know what, we understand our franchisees are going to take a roughly 30% hit now in the cost of this to their costs, so we will increase the price of coffee across the board to help them, I don't believe that people would not have then said, look at these these big franchises gouging the middle class and the lower class by raising the price of coffee. I think that they were put, everyone in this case is put into a bit of a bind because the franchisee either has to do something to save their costs 
or the or the big company has to do something to raise costs to help them, and then regardless, everyone's going to be accused of gouging somebody. But you also have the situation where their parent company was already in, you know, having issues with their franchise owners anyway, who were fighting them. Well, on there has been a lot friends. of that. So there has know, been a lot of that going on. There's a perfect storm going on here. There is. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show weeknights from six to eight only on 900 CHML. So you were, you were saying that you wonder how many of the franchisees don't make a really good living. And what I want to ask, and this is this is something that I've I've had discussions with with a few people, is does it matter? And I suppose I mean I know that in this case we're saying well you know they're gouging their employees, but if you've put your money down to risk your capital, are you entitled to make a good living? If you're if you've bought the store, if you've put down, if you've taken out a huge loan to to start up your business, should we expect that their profit should be just very small, or are they entitled to make a good profit? Well, if I you're would a argue sto- with it's an investment, right? You know, if I was, if you put me in the situation of owning a Tim Hortons, I want to make as much money as possible from that franchise, absolutely. And I probably brought it, bought a Tim Hortons franchise because of its reputation. You saw other people the doing chance it. that it could work. It yeah, a fairly good chance that it could work. Especially in Hamilton, where you have like yeah. every corner, you've got That's a Tim true. Hortons. I uh, don't understand how they work in Hamilton with so many, but they apparently do. They do, uh, but I see nothing wrong with anybody making a fair wage, and that we get back to that again, right? Yep. A fair profit. So why not a fair wage for your employees? I don't get it. I mean, you know, I know it's going up one dollar, and then the second one triggers next year. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. Yep. So up to um, fifteen next January first. And you have an argument, I think. You know, from from some economists who say, oh, this is the worst thing that could possibly happen. The economy of Ontario is going down the chute. And then you have others that say, you know, this is a lot of scare tactics that are going on here. That this money, it's <laughs> these are not the people that took money and put it in Swiss bank accounts or offshore accounts. These are people who are going to take that extra couple bucks and spend it locally, probably. And so... You know, I see that as a big plus. There's nothing wrong with a company making money. I get it. But I still think this, in this case, it's wrong. Was it a cheap shot by Kathleen Wynne to point out that, I mean, as you say, it's it's probably not the ideal flag bearers for Tim Hortons to be the son and daughter of Ron Joyce and Tim Horton. Nonetheless, was it a cheap shot to point out that Ron Joyce had made billions of dollars in selling the company, therefore... They shouldn't do this because the reason I asked the question, I have no idea if Ron Joyce has given his kids billions of dollars or if they are, they've bought this and they're working on their own as independent business people. I don't know. To me, it seemed like saying that because they're the kids of an owner, that they should somehow be held to a different standard. I'm not sure if that's fair or not. Well, I mean, as soon as you heard the name, Uh, you know, I mean, that was going to be evident um, but, you know, making an assumption of how much money they were getting. You Bill, know, Bill Gates has, to, has said his kids are not getting his fortune. Yeah. Okay. So we don't know if Bill Gates' kids are, if, does he have kids? I don't even know. But if he does, are they hugely wealthy? And if so, if Bill Gates' kids did something, do we automatically say, because you're Bill Gates' kids? No, he, I just think that she, ta- she probably targeted them because that's where it started. And the fact that it started with somebody by the name of Horton mm-hmm. didn't help the situation. And Joyce, yeah, for sure. And I agree with the use of the term bully. I think it was a bully tactic to make these employees sign off on this. And now we hear that the Ontario Labor Minister, Kevin Flynn, you know, talking about the fact, is this a violation of the Labor Code? 
when you have people sign off on this and basically it's like, hey, you don't want to sign it? You don't have to work here. You but know? she said, Kathleen Wynn this week said, if you want to take up a fight, don't take it up with the employees, take it up with me. Isn't that what businesses have been doing for the last year and basically being ignored? Because they've been saying for all year, you, you raise the minimum wage this much, it's going to really hurt business. Many businesses can't deal with a raise of this much in the minimum wage overnight. So they have been taking it up with her, Yes, but they've been getting nowhere. And so what? then when someone does something, she says, well, you're bullying them. I would argue that that the government, I believe, listened to a lot of, of people. I mean, who are you going to hear from? You're going to hear from the people that said, well, I went to the government and I didn't get the response, quote, that I wanted is really what they're mm-hmm. saying. And, well, you know, I, I think you got to give it time. I don't think this was a huge jump of $2 to $3 an hour. It was, you know, a dollar. Let's go with it. Let's see where this goes. Um I applaud her for basically coming out and saying this was a bully tactic because I believe it was. I think there's other ways that they could have handled this and this was not the way. There was one other thing that was brought up today. Uh, Some business people were pointing out that it was hypocritical of the government to take the position that you shouldn't be able to cut benefits and cut whatever else to employees because back in 2014, the liberals cut the benefits to civil servants by $1.2 billion saying at the time, we have to look after our bottom line and we can't afford this. So if it's good for the government to say, we've got to cut back on some benefits, why is it not good for the private sector to be able to say the same thing? Because they also have to look after their bottom line. Because you have, that was a situation where they're cutting back the benefits. They were not cutting back what the civil servants were being paid is a difference because, you know, we, I think we all both agree that the civil servants probably, in most cases, make a very good wage. Mm-hmm. So they had some, some of their benefits cut back. This is not only are you not being paid for your break time, you're also going to have to pay for part of your own benefits. Plus, you're going to have to wear, you know, buy your own. It's just, it's just, it, it's not right. I mean, you're picking on the weakest people here when you're talking about, uh, you know, cutting benefits, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I really kind of find it surprising that Tim Hortons does this. I get it. Corporately, they, in a lot of cases, will offer scholarships to some of their employees, et cetera. But I just, now, it's not right. It's just not right. I'm going to be waiting to see what uh, comes down the road because I think there's going to be a lot of other companies that are going to look at this story and look at how this has been played and are going to be trying to figure out, and not necessarily Tim Hortons, I'm talking about small businesses, mom and pop operations, who I can't afford this. We're not talking about Tim Hortons anymore. We're talking about someone who has a small, and saying, what is my better option? If I'm only making a small living right now, a small profit, I do I have a choice of cutting something from employees that's going to lead to me getting hammered publicly, or just getting rid of a few employees and saying, I'll keep the ones I have and hope they remain happy or it's, it's going to be a really interesting one going forward. It really is because I I don't think, I don't think this is going to scare off companies from doing what they have to do to, in fact, I know it won't. They'll, they'll do what they have to do to try and stay profitable. They may use a different method. They will definitely, I would think they may use a different method to get out for sure. You're listening to the Scott Radley show weeknights from six to eight only on 900 CHML. There is a story that's going on that has received, I think, relatively speaking, a a minuscule amount of coverage, which really shocks me because it's the protests and the public demonstrations for democracy and freedom in Iran 
And how long ago was it? Five years ago that we had the Arab Spring. And this was the biggest story for weeks, the fact that people were rising up demanding freedoms and democracies in different Arab countries. Tiananmen Square now 20 years ago, maybe more, lose track, was certainly an enormous story. And not only is this one not seeming to get a lot of traction publicly, but there's a lot of people who are now saying, where are the Western powers other than the states in Israel who have been vocal about this? Where are the rest of the Western countries taking a strong stand for democracy and freedom and anti-theism in these countries when the people are out there marching and dying in some cases? Why are the countries that were so vocal with the Arab Spring and with others not taking a position on this one or being very careful? So any, I mean, do you have a... Well, you have to go back to when Harper, you know, basically cut off Iran at the knees and said, we're not going to deal with them. Right. And now, and then you had Trudeau saying that he was going to reestablish relationships with Iran. Now he's in a tough position because the leadership in Iran would like nothing better than to be able to say, after Donald Trump tweeted a few times, that really this is all, you know, foreign influence. That's why these people troublemakers are troublemakers who are on the streets. And... You know, I mean, in my opinion, possibly the best thing a Trudeau could do is to come out and strong, with a strongly worded statement about human rights, et cetera, uh, you know, and say this isn't right because he, I think. Say it isn't right what the government is doing. What the government is mm. doing. Um, because I think he is perceived on the international stage as being an anti-Trump. You know, would they listen to him? Would they not? Now, but as I say, he finds himself in this very difficult position right now. I promised we were going to do, you know, what we could to reestablish relations. And they've had five meetings with the Iranian leadership and are trying to open lines of trade, I guess, and other things. And now if you take a strong stand on this one, that probably cuts that off at the knees and that's gone. Yeah. And or he could, I guess, use the Magnitsky Act to say this is what, you know, we're now going to involve sanctions and not allowing travel by Iranian businessmen and that kind of thing. That's the opportunity to do it. But I think that he's sitting back wondering, I'm sitting right on the edge of something right now. You know, but I don't, I agree with you. I don't think we can afford to sit back much longer and just say, well, you know, this was a campaign promise. And what happens if the people who are out there marching in the streets right now get crushed and get hammered down? Does that not fully embolden and strengthen the theocratic hardline leadership that we, this is why Iran is such a danger in this region. It seems to me if they win this thing, if they come out on top and they crush the protesters, Who's going to protest again? How is this going to... I'm, I'm just looking at this thinking, we have a prime minister right now who is saying, we have to be able to allow ISIS fighters who are from Canada to return. We're being... We want to allow them the opportunity for freedom and to change their ways. Here, over there, you've got people rising up saying, we want to create a country that would not create those in the first place. But also, it's the economic situation, of course, too, yeah, right? Of course, of course. That's what this whole thing, I, I believe 100%, Sue, this whole thing is driven by economics. And what's what's really interesting is that the groups in some of these medium-style or medium-sized cities or smaller cities, you know, tend to be really conservative. And the fact that they're rising up is an indication of when it gets to the lar- even larger centers, 
what's going to happen then? I mean, you know, it is a bit of a mess. Plus, you have Trudeau, and I'm sure that this conversation has taken place in, you know, in his office on Parliament Hill, is, you know, you're dealing with Trump, too. And we've got the NAFTA talks as well, Mm. which haven't been going very well at all, that we have to watch, you know, how we are perceived. And you know, he, as I say, he promises to reestablish relationships with Iran, yet here's Iran that supports Assad in Syria, you know, where people were being killed left, right, and center. And we brought, how many Syrians did we bring into our country? Ultimately, ultimately, is it not, is this prime minister not someone who has consistently tried to say we are going to do the right thing regardless of what it might cost us? That, uh, that's, that's the... Percept, that's the, the, the position loosely translated. And here you have a clear case where you have women taking off their hijabs in the streets as part of protest, which you can't do. It's dangerous. And we're standing by taking the most tepid position possible, along with not just us, along with many, many other countries. I just, I, I, I find it shocking, especially considering, again, some of these other protests around the world that we've come out very strongly in favor of democracy and freedom and, and supporting those people who are taking on their overbearing governments. I would suggest that you may be right that in terms of how far he has come in saying we're always going to do the right thing. Now he hits this wall where it says, what is the right thing here? I mean, you and I both agree. We can clearly see it. But is it the implications? What kind of discussions have gone on before? This is part of the campaign, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think it's a very difficult time for him right now. But not deciding. Yes, that's what still, I mean. There's a, there's a quote, and I love this quote. It's from Free Will by Rush. If you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. So sitting there and doing nothing is still deciding. It's still doing something. It's still, by not doing something, you're doing something. And you're sending a message. It's a fascinating one. I really hope that we're going to do something. As Canadians, I really hope that our government will do something to be more vocal. Not just us either, the rest of the world as well. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. Jason Farr, Councillor Jason Farr has come forward, or will come forward. He sent out a tweet earlier today and a press release earlier today. He is going to be coming forward with a motion to create somewhere in Hamilton a place for green burials. Now, for those who don't know what green burials are, that doesn't mean they leave you out in the sun until you turn green and then (laughs) bury you, although it's kind of along those lines. (laughs) Slightly, but... It is a very... It's an environmental thing where they don't embalm you, they don't put casings in the ground, you're either put in a... Shroud of some Shroud, or you're put in just a plain box of some kind and buried. Yes. And... I presume, I, I've never really studied. And they plant a tree. And they plant a tree. And I guess you provide the fertilizer. I um, guess. I find nothing wrong with this. I think this is a great idea. Long overdue. And the, But then somebody suggested the old um, site of Parkside High School in Dundas. And I went, oh, please, no. I mean, I just find that rather appalling. But I, I, have, I mean, I have no issue. If someone wants to do this, I don't mind. I mean, I'm planning to be... Uh, cremated. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, you know, not that I've given a whole lot of thought to it at this point, but, but, but I'm thinking about this and I went, someone at work was talking about this today at the other work. And I was thinking, I don't know though, with the idea of just, you know, 
with no protection, just being buried. I'm, I've got this image of someone walking through the park the next day and there's a bunch of neighborhood dogs that have dug oh, me up and are oh, gnawing on me in the park. that's so bad. I, well, that's what goes through my mind. It's like, wait, the, you're just, you're just going to, I've seen what happens when you bury your animals. They, yes, you know, but these, it's, it's, we're talking about the carbon footprint, right? I understand. With cremation, you're still having to use an enormous amount of heat and electricity or gas. You're still using... Uh, we could heat homes with cremation. <laughs> let's, oh, let's double you might, up on the. You might. Can you see that? A whole subdivision. No. Uh, yeah, subdivision run by a crematorium. Oh, this is so sick. Anyway, <laughs> hey, it's, it's like, a natural part of. I really think this is a wonderful, wonderful idea. I don't. I have no problem. Is there any form? Not not necessarily talking about the environmental impact. Is there any form of body? What do we call it? Body disposal. Body. What's the term? Is there anything that, that you find uncomfortable other than the fact that you're dead? I mean, would you be, as silly as it sounds, would you be okay once you're gone yes. being buried at sea? Yes. Would you be okay being cremated? Yes. Would you be okay just being buried? Old no, just think about this though. <laughs> I'm gone. Uh, that's, see, the that's, only people that would be disturbed or should be disturbed or might be disturbed are those that are left behind. And I see, thank you for saying that because I've had this discussion with people for a long time. Who cares what you do with me when I'm gone? Who cares? Unless I plan to somehow come back, my heart starts again, which, you know, I'd like to think they've actually really checked to make sure (laughs) that it's really stopped. You've been watching too many movies. Yeah, exactly. But once I'm done, who cares what you do with me? The The only other one that I do have an issue with you know, I've always thought it would be generous or magnanimous or something to donate my body to science oh. until you're lying on the table in some medical school and a kid you, you know, who lived on your street is going, Hey, that's Mr. Radley. Uh, that, that would again, kind of gross me out. That would freak me out to. You won't be there. That I know, but even. Know. My, okay. So my, are you saying the stories would go out after that? Guess yeah. who I saw guess, at school today. Guess whose pancreas I was bisecting today. Yeah. Or dissecting. Yeah, dissect. Yeah, I think a lot of people have an issue with that, but a lot of That's times it's people that have lived a really good life and say, what can I leave? There was, I'm sorry, but there was, I read the obituaries. I know I'm getting older. And there was one that was just great. It said, you know, Tom, you know, had a tough life and was never able to pursue higher education, but he's finally fulfilled his wish. His body has been donated to the university of whatever. And I thought, what a great old bit. You know, he would have loved that good old Tom. But I just, I think it's a great idea. I think his whole idea of taking up valuable land is another huge how you does know, this work? Like, assuming if you're doing this green burial, and again, not to be ridiculous about this, but you would... You'd still need a plot of land. But you would no. decompose much more quickly, yes, I would assume. Would. Yes. And so you could presumably rebury, you could you could recycle this land in time. Dust to dust, yes. Right, absolutely. you could, which is which makes sense. That, that does make a lot of sense to me uh, that you could, you know, why do we need to have these massive cemeteries if we can do this. They were also talking about the fact that they wouldn't, I mean, the one that already exists, I believe it's down in Niagara, no headstones. Well, they they try to avoid headstones because the manufacturing also leaves a carbon footprint. I went, well, that's interesting. You're taking it like to the nth degree. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm that eager to go that far. You know, if Why someone... do you want to be remembered by a piece of... 
if someone wants to put something there to come and remember me, then, you know. Ask your kids. It's an interesting thing. Say, you know, if I passed away and, you know, when I'm buried, just say you're going to be buried and there's a headstone. How often would you come and visit me? You will be shocked. No, I know. I know. I'm, 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 I was trying to think about this when I started reading this. I thought, well, I, you know, I'm planning to be cremated. And I guess, you know, the, the, the right thing is I've heard of people getting put into fireworks. Oh, yes. Their ashes yeah. put into fireworks. And, just <laughs> and then it's like, all right, well, now I'm everywhere. And now in an urn on your kid's As mantle, long as you're you know? not Keith Richards, <laughs> who tells the story in his book that his dad was cremated. And one day when he was in a drug-induced haze, he thought his dad was cocaine and he snorted him. <laughs> right. That, that, the stories you have tonight I, are amazing. Uh, I, as long as I'm not snorted by anybody, it's, I suppose the rest is just, uh, is all hunky-dory. That's right. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. Canada introduced and announced its latest class into the Order of Canada. 125 new appointments were put in, which brings, since 1967 or 68, whenever this started, it brings the total number of people in the Order of Canada up to 7,000 people. Which seems to me, when you start to put it in those kind of numbers, how special can this thing really be if we have that many people getting in? Do you know, I was prepared to say, you know, it doesn't matter. We have all these wonderful Canadians. Which we do. Which we do. And people who should be recognized. Because when you go down that list, yeah, there's names that stand out and you go, you know, yeah, I recognize them. They're famous, etc. But if you read the background on some of the other people, I think. It's great that they've been recognized, you know, for, for what they contributed to this country. And remember, this was a centennial project. That's mm-hmm. why it started in 67. And I was a little shocked when you said 7,000. I thought, I'm going to prove Radley wrong. <laughs> so I went to the Nobel Prizes. Okay. Okay. 900. Since, since when? 1901 to the present day. And I went, oh, and how many of the, what do you, what do you, what's the one in the States that the, uh, the Medal of Freedom, that the Presidential Correct. Medal of now, Freedom. I don't know how many they've but, presented. But it's few. It's maybe 10 or 12 yeah. a year, maybe. And I got, uh, look, I'm, I have no problem with average Canadians. Uh, they're not really average Canadians. These are people who have done great Absolutely, things. But they're not every, names that you would recognize on an everyday basis. Yet they've done amazing things. They have. Right? But it seems to me when you have that many that it just, it, it, waters, dim- it, it waters it down, it diminishes yeah. it. And almost to the point, we've talked about this on this show before, but when I saw the number 7,000, I wanted to bring it up again. seems like we should have, I don't know, we have the Order of Canada. We have the, the officer of the Order of Canada, the member of the Order of Canada, the, I can't remember what the other, the companion of the Order of Canada, but it's all the order for, as far as people following, it's just the Order of Canada. I wonder if we need to have something that goes beyond, like something that... Well, that's been proposed, almost like a knighthood or something else like that. But here, you know, what I found surprising when I was I was looking into this was that uh, Mordecai Richler turned it down twice. He turned was it offered, down? Turned it down. Why? He uh, just didn't think that, you know, I think it probably has something to do with his hometown of Montreal as well, you know, that he didn't see Quebec and all this Order of Canada stuff. Glenn Gould? Turned it down? Turned it down. Genevieve Bougeot turned it down. She was in Dead Ringers, right? Yes, she was. Mm. Uh, and a lot of them, or some of them, uh, threatened to give their Order of Canada back when Henry Morgenthaler 
was given. Now, he was probably the most controversial, the I'm abortion sure. activist. Yep, yep. And a lot of people threatened to uh, to send it back. And we've had those who have had their Order of Canada removed. Would you like to guess any of those? Alan Eagleson? Good call. Conrad Black? Conrad Black. How many more? I don't know, but I've got two more. <laughs> okay. Gar- Garth Drabinsky. Oh, yes. Yep. And Steve Fonio. Because of the charges, et cetera, that all came, you know, came out after he made his way across Canada. You know, many people don't even remember Steve Fonio. I know. Uh, I ended, I went out 10 years ago probably and found him and wrote a long story about Steve Fonio. And he was the guy, for those who don't remember, he was the guy who, he had also lost a leg to cancer. And after Terry Fox had tried to do his run across the country, Steve Fonio said, well, I'm going to do it. And you know, what was amazing to me. I don't, I didn't know how we got into a Steve Fonio conversation, but what was amazing to me, I spent, I think five or six full days with him as we drove around BC and I honestly believe that he started that very naively with every intention that he wasn't trying to steal Terry Fox's thunder, that he really thought he was doing something good for the people of Canada and for cancer victims and was pounded on by people for, for not being Terry Fox basically. And that's so true. That's exactly my opinion on that. He was not Terry Fox. He was not that curly haired kid. Well, that, he was. You know, well, he was. <laughs> no, yeah, but he looked but he like him even, but he wasn't him. He wasn't him. He wasn't as well-spoken as Terry. No, his uh, family was not, uh, his family was Ukrainian or, uh, and they were, and they spoke with an accent and it was quite gruff at times. And they sounded. I remember writing the line that I remember writing was he was Camilla to Terry Fox's Diana. Wow. What a One great was, comparison. But she was, Diana was the beautiful princess that everyone loved. And along comes Camilla, who's not Diana and everyone hates her. Yeah. And, and I remember thinking at the time when yeah, I'd forgotten, I'm glad you mentioned this because again, order of Canada, when it was taken away, yeah, he did all kinds of horrible things. He drove drunk and he was into drugs and, but the guy was. His life was in part ruined for him. And I've, if you give someone an order of Canada or any other prize, I don't know how you take it away. I really don't. I don't know how you retract it because you had given it to him for the work he did there. And then you say, oh, but no, not really. So would you agree with taking back Alan Eagleson's? No. And nor would I agree that Alan Eagleson should have been removed from the Hockey Hall of Fame because what got him into the Hockey Hall of Fame? setting up the summit series, setting up the Canada cups, all those other things. Yes, he did things that were harmful to the players that the players hated, but you can't, you can't undo the history of the summit series and the other things. And so you can put an asterisk beside their name. You can put an explanation on their plaque. You can do a lot of things. I don't see taking them out of the hall of fame makes any difference. Okay. I agree with that. And the one thing I couldn't figure out, and I tried to find out are they obligated to come out with like 125 new members of the Order of Canada every year? No, I think this year, well, no, this was Canada one. Yeah, Canada. 150. 150. Yeah. So they should have had 150. Uh, I don't know. It, it just, it, there's just too many. And so you end up with this endless list where people, if you do, if you do have interest in the Order of Canada, you have people who call up the list just to find a name or two they recognize and they get all the attention anyway. Here's the, the irony that, of this. That's true. You try to, the order of Canada is to give every Canadian the opportunity to be held in the same esteem as the celebrities. And then when the stories come out, the only people we ever write about are the celebrities. Mm -hmm. So why not just acknowledge we're interested in those people? Like I've pulled up a story here. This was from the Toronto Star and 
the people that are mentioned, there are 125. The three people mentioned by name, at least in the top half of the story, Jan Arden, Mark Breslin, who founded Yuck Yucks and a lot of people know, and William Shatner. Who basically, I think, has said as of today, isn't he an American? He's going for his American citizenship. Well, I mean, that's fine. Good for him for, but how did, by the way, how did William Shatner get to be 80 something years old? Again, Order of Canada doesn't make any sense. How does William Shatner not have the Order of Canada? And there's people in here who are a third or quarter of his age who have Apparently this. the average age of the Order of Canada is 60, 60. So just over the top there. I just really believe that we're at the point when as a country, the Order of Canada, I, I don't think it's not without its purpose, but it's kind of like for those who know anything about the law, uh, and I'm not speaking as a great expert, except that I grew up in a family with a lawyer for a father, QC at the end of your name, yes. if you were a lawyer once upon a time was yeah, a highly, was a highly prestigious thing to have. And then suddenly everybody is a QC. And now what does it mean anymore? Now everybody, so-and-so QC. Well, if everybody's a QC, what difference does it Well, it's it a really good point. I had no idea that 7,000 people and, you know, only since 1967. So that is an awful lot of people. And I get where you're going in terms of does it water down the value of the Order of Canada? I think, you know, for those who have received it, Congratulations. Sure. I think it's a wonderful thing. Sure. You know, will you wear your medal with pride, et cetera? Uh, and I don't doubt that they haven't done something in their life, which is bettered they, this country. 100% they have. 100%. Every one of them. But should we be more selective? Or should we, as you say, have a higher level? Like, we already have three. Right? But they're all called the same thing. That's yeah, the problem. The Order of Canada. Um, the Companion of the Order of Canada, the Member of the Order of Canada, and the Officer of the Order of Canada. And I correct. can't remember. Now, here's the problem. Do you I know which remember. one is? No. So we don't even know which one is the highest one. And no one ever says that anyway. We just say Order of Canada. So if we have the Order of Canada, and then we came up with two other things, but the one is for the the people who have done the most brought the most glory to the country or whatever else. And so pick your, out of that 7,000, let's say there was 100, 200, I don't know, that that it just, those those are the ones we're paying attention to anyway. So let's, let's do that. It, it's a, we talk about the Hall of Fame. We were talking about the Hall of Fame with Alan Eagleson. If right now four male players mm-hmm. every year is the maximum you can put into the Hockey Hall of Fame and a female player and then builders. But if they suddenly said, we're going to put in 47 players a year into the Hockey Hall of Fame, what does that then mean for the people who are in the Hockey Hall of Fame? It's not the greatest of all players ever anymore. It's pretty good. Yeah. You were pretty good. You're going to start having... You're one of the 47 good guys. Every year. One of the 47 every year. One of the 50 every year. And that really waters it down. And again, to me, I know that when I watch... Um, you know, one of the, one of the, it's it's kind of a weird thing. We don't really have this. I don't think in our country, there's a thing they do in the States and it's an artistic prize Mm -hmm. they have for the arts of all different kinds called the Kennedy center honors. Correct. And every year they have what? Five, maybe, maybe, maybe maybe five with four. And there's a, you can go online and if you don't know what the Kennedy center honors are, it's actually a lot of fun to watch because they do an amazing job with this show. 
that goes with it. But boy, you if you get that, that is one of the highest recognitions. You have the president and the first lady sitting with and you. And all the celebrities are there all watching. All your friends. You know, the, you know, I get that and I agree with that. I think that that kind of honor is you know, And you look at the amazing. list, Sue, mm-hmm. of who is on the who has had Kennedy Center honors and 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 how difficult it is. I mean, it was just like two or three years ago that Paul McCartney got it. And it's like, wait, if Paul McCartney couldn't get it until now, it, but it says something about now, if I hold the same honor that Paul McCartney does, wow, that is that, that, I mean, or Oprah or the Eagles or David Letterman, some very elite group of, of people. If I try to come up with who is on the list, it, as much as you say, the people who have got the Order of Canada are doctors and business people. And, no, and they richly deserve it. We're not arguing that no. point, but what we are saying is... It's a different level yeah, of recognition. Yeah, make it a little more special. Because even if you look at the medals, the only difference among those three are that one's the biggest, yeah. medium, smallest. And then there's the Order of Merit, which is a personal gift from the Queen. Oh. And I don't know... Who has ever received the Order of Merit? I assume that somebody has received it since it's a category, but I'm sure that that's very special. Right. Now, see, all I'm imagining in my head right now, for those of a certain vintage who can remember this, is the um, Canada Fitness <laughs> prizes from back in the 70s when you had to run the shuttle run and do the flexed arm oh, hang. And you either got that. the Wasn't that for, uh, gold, the silver, blonde, or the Award of Excellence. Yeah, exactly. You participated. I have a stack of bronze, which is the <laughs> one that everybody gets just yeah. for showing up and yeah. somewhere in the basement. Uh, yes, if I was um, Order of Canada, I would, whatever the bottom one is, uh, I guarantee you that would be, but I, I will not be, you're not an Order of Canada, by the way. I haven't, no, I didn't I check. am not. Before I brought this up, I probably should have checked. And there are way too many of them and I'm not one of them, no. Well, and you know what? There's a perfect thing as we go to this commercial break. How in the world do you not have one with all you've done and the people, uh, see, again, it, but it's just so mysterious. How do you even know who, what the criteria is? We just, every once a year, we get this note sent out saying, hey, here's all the new Order of Canada people. Actually, if you go online and they tell you what it's about, and there's also an advisory board too, which I didn't know about. So there you go. I would love to go through. The one thing I would like to go through this and see is how many people who get the Order of Canada each year correspond with political affiliations of the whatever party is in power at that time. I've never checked that and I may it may not have anything to do with it. It would be a very long list. You realize how long that would take? 7,000. Yeah, 7,000 people <laughs> to go through. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. We hadn't heard about the LRT for a merciful <laughs> amount of time. You were missing it? <laughs> well, for, no, I'm saying it was for a merciful amount of time, the LRT had gone away. And boom, back we are right in the middle of the LRT again. Now we have, well, it, it, Patrick Brown's office, the man who was running for the premiership from the Conservatives, through Donna Skelly, who is running here in town. She'll be running in the, as a Conservative has said, you know, you've heard all along that the liberals have said it's LRT or nothing. You either get the billion dollars for LRT or you go to the back of the line and Hamilton gets nothing. Now, Patrick Brown, and I checked with his office yesterday and they reaffirmed that this is in fact their position, says, no, well, if you don't want LRT, but city council wants bus rapid transit or wants something else for transit, that money is still Hamilton's. You can you can tell us what you were not going to meddle. You can tell us what form of transit improvements you want, and that money is yours. 
whether it's a billion or slightly under a billion, but regardless. And I'm looking at this thing thinking two things. First, is it wise when things seem to be just sliding along and everyone's not really paying attention anymore? Is it wise for the mayor to bring it up again and again or just leave well enough alone? That's the first thing. And the second thing is, is there any way around the fact now it seems that we are going to be fighting the next election, both provincial and municipal like we did with the stadium last time on the LRT. And we saw how that went, right? Um, no, <clears throat> I am. I knew this was going to happen if a firm decision, and how many firm decisions did we think we had on LRT? Never, it, none. 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 But if it, a firm decision wasn't made by September of October of last year, that it was inevitable that it was going to be an election issue, both at the provincial and the municipal level. Because with a chance that it could go kaput, and that's what the mayor has said it could go kaput, absolutely. And I think the council has done itself a huge disservice by constantly going back and forth and making motions. And uh, you know, um, it seems that you know the sides have been established on council on who's for, who's against, absolutely. And every time you think the decision has been made, somebody from one of those two sides is going to stand up and say, but. You know, I think we should have an investigation into, or I order, you know, so we want, should order city staff to look into this. Or we should have the union demand that the union, the HSR union run this way. You know, the irony is that last bit, things were cruising along, it seemed, and one of the greatest backers and most vigorous ardent defenders of HS, uh, of the LRT was the one, I believe, who came up with the suggestion that it should be the HSR union, and that caused another delay, and that could actually be the cause of this thing becoming an election issue. Wouldn't that be ironic if the biggest defender of HSR and LRT caused it to be lost? I, it's, as I say, it's amazing. To put it this way. The last municipal election, where we had three councillors running for mayor, correct? Yep. And I thought, McCaddy, wow, Brad Clark, and we're going to have Eisenberger. all this new blood on council. It won't be dysfunctional. It'll be, you know, move ahead and thumbs up. And we're going to get stuff done because everything about the city is changing. It's growing. It's renewing itself. And I haven't seen a lot of proof that that happened. There are certain people that I think did a exceptional job or are doing exceptional jobs. But then you have two people who are now running in the election. So you're going to lo- one of those two you're going to lose at least at maybe least. both maybe both. And so uh, like when are we going to grow up and get on with it? You know, if if we if we in our own personal lives spent this much time deciding, I get it, it's public money and you know, we hired them to to kind of look after our public money and make the right decision, but just make a decision. You know, you've got to move forward. But I think uh, for for a number of councillors, it's been ideal that they haven't really had to make a decision because, again, with the Liberals saying it's LRT or nothing. 
Well, it's, yeah, we've known that since the beginning. And oh, I that's what it. they've said but since the beginning. It, but to have the conservatives and Patrick Brown say, yes, but look what we're dangling for you. And that's now leaving, that's now is absolutely going to become an, an election that, issue because if you're somewhere on the mountain or in the suburbs and you say, I'm not a fan of the LRT. That's correct. Because I'm who guessing, am I going to elect? I'm guessing most of the people who are anti-LRT, I'm assuming, are in those areas. And I think there was a poll that backed that up. But if you say, oh, so we now have a chance to get better bus service without having to do the LRT, let's elect the conservatives and we can now have this change. The tricky part is you still have to elect city councilors that would take that to the conservatives to make that happen. It becomes, it, it's, it, it's, it's a two-part process and I'm not sure that anything is going to change even if you want it to. So let me ask you this. We saw what happened with the stadium debate mm-hmm. and that became an election issue and it was a very angry issue and people were very divided on it. I'm not sure that it dragged a greater number of people to the polls, though. I'm not sure that it may have cost Fred Eisenberger the mayorship, the, the mayoralty, the mayorship, the first time he, he re-won. Yes, that's correct. But it may have, some people say, a lot of people believe that that cost him that. But do you believe that the LRT would be a motivating draw to get people to come out and vote in either the provincial or municipal election, or are they going to throw up their hands and go, whatever? Well, you've just pointed out that it's got to be whoever's forming that council next fall has got to, if they, you know, for the sake of argument, let's say the conservatives get in provincially, that they have to make that decision to ask the government to say, no, we want the money instead for this, instead of an LRT. Now, do I think it will bring up more people for the provincial election? No. I don't think that's, you know, on their radar. I don't think that there's people, I think there's much bigger issues that people would consider than the LRT because you just pointed out, it's got to be whoever's on that council it has to ask it's for It's a two-pronged it. thing to exactly. make anything change. Exactly. But I don't think people are going to think that way strategically when they go to vote provincially. That's all I'm saying. And the uh, the funny part about the municipal thing is, I think... Most people in their wards, for the most part, I think, the wards reflect, the, the, the councillors right now are reflecting the strongest view of the wards. I think that's a, a fair thing to say, that if you're in a ward that is not a big backer of LRT, your councillor is not a strong proponent. That's not saying there are not people in those wards who support it. But that would suggest that the people are probably going to re-elect those same councillors, so you're going to see a very similar city council, which means you will probably have the exact same response and result from an LRT vote. And it will be a much longer debate after that new council. Tying them up for their next. Exactly. Because if you say, and it's Hamilton has this tradition of returning councillors, that they may find themselves in a situation a year from now arguing the same thing because the same people will be involved. I don't think this is even legal. In fact, I'm quite positive it's not. <laughs> but should there ever be somebody coming forward at council and making a motion that says, we should put a limit on the amount of time, the length of time we can debate any particular issue? I don't think that's illegal. Oh, I, I think mean, probably... wait a minute. In parliament, they're, they're, you know, they can put a time limit on debate. Oh, and, he, and in Hamilton, they put time limits on it, but then they always say, well, something yeah. else has come up. We have to extend it. I just, I look at this. 13 hours later. Well, I'm not even thinking hours. I'm thinking we, it, to have someone, to have some rule in place that says from the first motion that comes to the floor, 
within oh, with the two, overall decision. We okay, within okay. three months, three months must finally wrap this thing up or something. And again, I don't think that's even legal. But boy, to me, something like that would be really helpful because you could actually do other things. Then you don't get bogged down with the same thing that goes on ad infinitum. I think. Maybe a solution to this would be that if you have concerns, and I get it, certain concerns were raised later when they, you know, when the first, sorry, after the first meeting of council when LRT came to the fore. And there were some things, but that had to be debated. But certainly, councillors within their wards could have come up with this list of things that they wanted explored in the next four months before we have another meeting. But it's just, I'm starting to see this headbutting that's been going on for too long now among councillors that, well, I can't remember who it was, it was Marula and someone else. Both of them wanted a poll done, remember? And then they found out the other one had gone to the same firm and they said, oh, well, then let's both get on board. And I just thought, oh, wow. I think that the, uh, whether you like it or not, I'm not talking about Sue, whether you listening, whether you and the public like it or not, I think this is going to be an election. So I think we're going to hear a lot about LRT. And if you think it was settled, uh, it might be in for a, a, a sad surprise because this thing is going to be, LRT is going to be the the word of the year. You know, every year the Oxford Dictionary That's has, right. a, this is going to be our word again, <laughs> LRT. For the ninth straight year, LRT is the word of the year in Hamilton. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. In Oregon, this week, they have changed the law, which finally allows civilians, I use the word civilians, to pump their own gas. Shockingly, up until now, in Oregon, you were not by law allowed to pump your own gas. It had to be a gas pumping professional. True story. And now a bunch of people are on social media in Oregon who are completely flummoxed by this now that they actually have to do the job themselves. Here's some of the comments that Oregonians online and on social media have said. This is a quote. Many people are not capable of knowing how to pump gas and the hazards of not doing it correctly. Besides, I don't want to go to work smelling of gas when I get it on my hands or clothes. Very bad idea. Here's another one. I don't even know how to pump gas, and I am 62, native Oregonian. I say, no thanks. I don't want to smell like gasoline. And another one, I've lived in this state all my life, and I, capital letters, refuse to pump my own gas. I had to do it once in California while visiting my brother, and I almost died doing it. This is a service only qualified people should perform. I will literally park at the pump and wait until someone pumps my gas. I can't even begin to start doing this. Do they have Costco's in Oregon? <laughs> I just wonder. Or do they have somebody pumping the gas? I find this totally unbelievable. What's really cool is some fellow has offered online to come out and teach or have gas of pumping classes how to, how to pump gas. I I thought this was a joke at first. It's not a joke. It's a legitimate thing that people are outraged that they are going to have to take on the dangerous, life-threatening task of pumping gas. Remember what that person said. I had to do it once in California and while visiting my brother and almost died doing it. What was this person doing? (laughs) I don't know. Well, how was this person pumping gas? Did he think you put it in your mouth and then spit it into the tank or something? I think it was probably the debit card thing that was going on there and the point system and trying to figure out if I should put my points card in first. That shouldn't kill him, though. 
That shouldn't kill him. No. I got an idea here. I'm going to pump gas and build me a bonfire at the same time. I just, it's very strange, though, isn't it? That I didn't even know that existed. I did you not say at the beginning of the program there's places in Canada? Thank you for that segue. There you go. Two Western, this is from the National Post today, two Western Canadian cities that mandate. Gas stations employ attendants to pump fuel are outliers in a nation. Richmond and Coquitlam, B.C. Coquitlam, B.C., home of Terry Fox, have it as a law, have have prohibited self-service stations for decades and against multiple, this is from the story, and against multiple waves of industry pushback, including a recent salvo by Chevron Canada, refused to revoke its regulation. They will not let you pump your own gas because, Sue, it is a dangerous, life-threatening activity. I just, I can't even remember the last time I heard a story about a situation at a gas station created by somebody who pumping their own gas. And, like, even if there's a small spillage, which very rarely happens... There's somebody out there immediately with sawdust or whatever to soak it up, et cetera. And I can honestly say that I've pumped my own gas for years, and I do not remember ever <laughs> getting back to my car and go, oh, I smell like gas. Oh, I've had it, I've had a couple drips go on my shoe, and you go, okay, I can, you yeah, know, you overpump it. Yeah, but how long it. does it last? The original explanation by uh, then Fire Chief R.J. Soudan when this law came into place, well, this is a quote, the principal objection to this type of service is the danger to life and property from fire due to lack of supervision by competent persons. First <laughs> I guess of, that means I'm incompetent. Oh, no, first of all, if you've been to a gas station lately and not to dump on people, I don't think you need a master's of some, a master's degree to get a job as a gas station gas pumper. That's just a guess based on who I've run into at gas stations. I find the most difficult part of pumping gas is remembering which side of the car the gas (laughs) tank is on to put it in. Yes, and when we had a van, we always would forget that the side sliding door won't open when the (laughs) gas thing is open. And so you would try to get out and the door wouldn't. What's wrong with my car? Bang, It is, what struck me though, Sue, about this is, again, nutty as it is that this exists, what else do we not know how to do or oh think boy. we don't know how to do because governments or companies or adults when we were kids or whatever else told us, well, you can't do that. You have to be professional at that. You have to know what you're doing. There's got to be tons of things and they may not come to mind, but there must be tons of things that we won't do or don't do because someone says, oh, you need to be trained and competent in those things. And some of them are legit for sure. I don't, I have proven time and again that I am not competent to do plumbing, <laughs> okay, or electricity. Yeah, um, now I can see that. But those are things that are, I, I think those are slightly- Those are licensed di- people. Those are slightly different from pumping gas. That is absolutely correct. You know, I don't, But I'm trying to think because I know that you're right, that there are things that we've been told you can't do. And then the first time you try it, you go, well, that's idiotic. Why of course didn't I, I do I this do before? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Handling certain tools. Okay. If they would say, okay, you got to be careful if you're using a nail gun. I would acknowledge that you should be careful. <laughs> no, honestly, you should be careful when you're using a nail gun. Correct. But I don't know that you need to have gone to school for four years to learn how to do it. As long as you're careful and you follow the instructions, I think, ah, you know, I can actually use this. This will work. Same with a, a drill, a table saw, something like that. But you've never been told that you can't use it, right? Oh, when you were a kid, your parent might have said, don't touch the table saw. 
because they think, you know, as a kid, well, yeah. gonna, but, but, and so you grow up never using it because you think, well, that's dangerous. I shouldn't, I should get someone, if I've got to cut something, I'll get someone to do it. And then you use it the first time and you go, all right, well, as long as I'm not either drunk out of my mind or dancing. What about do your taxes? You know? <laughs> now that is, that is a dangerous one. There is I no, know. I used to do my own. But we ha- now have uh, 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 quick tax and stuff like that, Correct. where unless you have some very complicated ones, for the most part, quick tax will walk you through it. And yes, you will get a call, as I still do, from Revenue Canada, whatever tax, <laughs> Say. saying you were supposed to put this online, this. And hey. I was like, okay, well, whatever. Uh, but it's not going to kill you. They are saying in this, that it is still because of danger to life and limb that you should not pump your gas. I don't know. Maybe Oregon had an enormous number of fires at gas stations, like going back decades. And, they, you know, when this law was brought in, I, I just can't imagine it. The first time I see... Now, I have seen videos, YouTube and stuff, of people, men and women. This is not a female driver thing, although they like to make jokes about that. I have seen people drive away with the uh, thing still attached to their car and rip it right out. But how often... Does that happen enough that it would be... uh, We need a law to be put in place? If that's the case, if, if the one bad thing happening once a year... We can't do anything. No, I can't. I don't even remember a story like that. Uh, I've go, you can go online and you'll see someone, they forget to un- I take can the, go online and take see the, anything. Well, that, that, <laughs> that is true too. The Scott Radley Show. The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.